1: Lucas, great to meet you, dude. I've watched so many of your videos. I feel like I know you. You're in the studio. I see you on YouTube every time. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no worries, man. I'm excited to chat. Absolutely. So guys, for you that don't know, Lucas runs Ergogenic Health, Boost Your Biology. You were the guy that really got me into the other side of biohacking and really understanding ingredients, right? Formulations, compounds, and understanding how to look at them. I think most importantly, understanding the mechanisms behind them. I'm curious, what got you into this world of biohacking, this world of experience experimenting compounds and distilling nature, as you call it.
2: Yeah, man. So I have just been very interested and fascinated if, with understanding a little bit about um, various ways to exploit and optimize human performance. I used to play semi-professional soccer and I was always experimenting with different compounds to enhance my ability to read the play or just to help reduce anxiety whilst I play and yeah. I came across a range of different compounds and I love the aspect that there are various things within our reach, either natural or synthetic that can improve various aspects of performance. So I just fell into the rabbit hole of experimentation and the whole world of biohacking.
1: Yeah, dude. I remember the first time that I, like the light bulb switched where it's, wait a minute, there's herbs that can make me smarter. It was with ginkgo biloba. And I remember the first time I took ginkgo biloba, it's a very mild, like cholinergic, helps with blood flow as well. But I noticed that I could speak better. And I used Mm -hmm. to speak a little bit slowly. I I had like self-consciousness around my ability to articulate. I was like, wait a minute, like this herb just made me speak better. So I'm curious, did that look similar to you in terms of, did you have a science background? Did you have, I think you mentioned somewhere that someone in your family has a science background or you were exposed to that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So my dad is a qualified pharmacist and we, he owns a pharmacy here in Melbourne. And I was at the time, I was also studying like exercise science. So I was loving that. But then I just spent all my spare time researching like different supplements, different herbs. And then I fell into the whole world of naturopathy. Um, And then I was like, oh, this sounds very aligned with what I'm already doing now. I'm already living the way that they emphasize and the way that they recommend healing the body. I'm like, I'm already doing all that sort of stuff. So I was like, I might as well transition into that. And I studied that for four years and um, that's where I learned about the intricacies around different herbs, learning about the different dosages around different ingredients, and also learning a lot about gut health because that's all they—that's really what they specialize in—is the way that they perceive the body and the way that they perceive healing the body is all around optimizing gut health. So I've got a pretty broad depth of knowledge across different areas. But as you and I know, like a key area that I'm really passionate about is the whole like anhedonia PSD picture, which is what we're here to chat about today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And no, I think that is the darker side of not just compounds, but I, I to me, it's almost like an unspoken epidemic because mm. there's multiple causes. And for those that don't know what we're talking about Lucas has done a lot of discussion and research and writing on this case of anhedonia. So essentially, certain compounds or even certain diseases causing an inability to feel pleasure, emotional blunting, Mm -hmm. libido issues. One of the common causes of that being ashwagandha. And last time we talked, I think you already had a big understanding. And at that point, you were starting to look at potential mineral approaches to it and sulfur. Mm. But could you just give an overview of what you've synthesized to be one of, or a combination of the root causes of this emotional blunting that's occurring.
2: Yeah, you've done a good job at summarizing that, Noah. This whole epidemic of anhedonia, which we'll define for the audience listening in, anhedonia is a state characterized by a blunted pleasure response now, or a diminished ability to experience pleasure like they used to, for example. Now, this ashwagandha... <sighs> The ashwagandha epidemic, which I I really pioneered that space because unfortunately, I was the guy that I was someone who suffered from many of the symptoms associated with ashwagandha. And I then posted a blog about, I don't know, it was like probably three years ago talking about some of the side effects associated with it. And I just had a number of people reach out and say, hey, I'm suffering from the same symptoms. I don't get that pleasure and excitement whenever I'm like either like eating chocolate or going to the movies, like just things that should be exciting. And then I fell into the whole world of the, right. Ray, Pete, right. the Ray Pete the Ray forum. And are you familiar with that, Noah? Oh, yeah, I'm so familiar. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I fell into that and then I saw like a... There was one particular thread that just caught my eye and I just could not believe the guy that was describing his symptoms. The thread was titled... Too much ashwagandha, now serotonin syndrome. And I was like, what the heck? Did you see that thread?
1: No, but I'm very deep into the repeat world because Twitter, it's all the Peters. So someone just posted like the serotoninergic effects of ashwagandha.
2: Yeah. So when I clicked on that particular thread, I was like, I was reading what this guy was describing. And I was like, that is the new persona that I've adopted. That's the new personality state that I've adopted. And I kept on. Thinking back, I'm like, I no longer suffer from social anxiety at all, or I just don't get tense socially. I feel generally a lot more calm, but that's at the expense of feeling that excitement, that thrill, the intense pleasure response. And I was like, wow, maybe my personality has changed pretty dramatically Like I feel there used to be times when I'd get, there would be this anticipation. It's anticipatory anhedonia, where it's the inability to experience excitement leading up to pleasure. And it takes a high level of self-awareness to even recognize this state. And you know what I truly think, man, is that I think a number of people, I think there are millions of people who are so conditioned and adopted to this particular state of being that they think that's normal. And they just have either forgotten what it's like to feel how they felt when they were like 16 or 20, 16 to 24 or whatever, for example. And now they're in this state where they're just blunted. They're and they, re- they wonder why they can't feel caffeine. They wonder why they can't feel alcohol. They wonder why they can't even feel certain illegal substances. It's probably because they have a degree of anhedonia that's just crept in thing.
1: And it's crazy. And that <laughs> forum post that you posted really resonated with me because I also had this case of anhedonia. And for me, I thought it was like just a transition into, this is just who I am now. Like I was just super calm demeanor. I used to be so explosive, like I was just an explosive person for good and bad. Like I had these incredible bouts of excitement and anticipation and like I would just light up with excitement. And then I'd also get really angry. Right. And I had the ability to get sad. And then I just hit the stage where I was just like everything was flatlined. And you mentioned it somewhere. Yeah, it is beneficial in certain places. Like I I think it has been a contributor for my ability to handle stressors. Maybe to be able to work harder because I don't enjoy. I I had difficulty enjoying things. So what was the point of doing those leisurely things? And the side effects that you mentioned, not being able to feel like a warm shower, like the feeling of a warm shower, getting a pump in the gym, right? Mm. Like being cozy, and that really just was like, wow, like this happened to me. And it's demoralizing. Like uh, you read some of these forums and it's sad to see like how people they're like, I'm just a shell of who I was. And it's really scary. What you mentioned there,
2: by the way, the, uh, what you said about feeling cozy and like having a warm shower. If you got, it's if you jump into a spa, like a really warm spa, you get that there's a particular sensation, like a bodily sensation. It's not the fact that the skin, it's not that your skin's numb. It's the psychological effect of proper pleasure and relaxation. It's almost like an opioid response, like that's no longer there. It's a, yeah, like that particular, I'm just trying to reflect back now. Oh, the key point I want to bring up here is that the only way that I discovered that I was truly numb was when I actually tried something that unnumbed or un me and unlocked the ability to feel all those things again, which there are various things that I tried and experimented with, which we'll chat about, that unlocked that state. And then that made me realize, I'm like, Hang on a second, that's I can feel all of those things again, but unfortunately it keeps going back to the default state of numbness and then I keep on having these what's called windows of relief which many people talk about on the PSD forum, which is the post SSRI sexual dysfunction forum, and there's probably guys listening into this that are like why is he talking about PSD now? Like how is this linked to anything? It's because the aetiology and the the pathophysiology around like the cause of this blunting effect. There's a theory and I don't know if this is actually correct and I'm still working on it today. No, I'm still, I'm desperate to find answers. And I'm like, if somebody out there is listening to this and somebody knows a a particular intervention that works, like actually works and unlocks the state that we're trying to seek, like I will literally pay that person a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars. yeah that's that's how significant this means to me and that's how um not only will it unlock like my own desire to figure out it's i think it's the fact that i just haven't figured it out yet i've got like tools that can unlock a certain state but i truly haven't been able to undo the damage if that makes Mm -hmm.
1: sense no i feel you on that and i'm in the same boat like I understand there's ways of getting these windows, right? There's ways of resensitizing for all intents and purposes. But for me, it's like, I've always had this mindset where it's, I don't want short-term fixes. That's why I've never like short acting things like Adderall. Like I want to fix it at the root cause. And God, it's so tough. I do see it becoming so much more of a core focus because we're mentioning Ashwagandha. We're mentioning SSRIs. Mine was a derivative of both SSRIs and Ashwagandha. And there's like a specific click period where... Things started changing, but I'm hopeful. And the reason that I'm hopeful is because it's getting more and more presence, more and more publicity, and more and more people, unfortunately, are struggling with it and realizing that it's an issue. We know that there's also been a correlation with anhedonia and Lyme disease in particular, mold and mycotoxin exposure, as well as long COVID. Hopefully that brings up enough public dissent, public conversation around it. But you mentioned Ray Pete. I'm very deep in the Pete world as well. Rest in peace, what <coughs> insights have you gained from the pro-metabolic community that were new to you? You mentioned that light bulb moment when you were on the ray Forum.
2: Yeah, this I would say if it wasn't for the Ray-Pete Forum and discovering that thread and learning about his approach to health, in particular, how he describes serotonin and how it's linked to elevated prolactin, affecting cortisol, affecting metabolic rate, and then bringing in the polyunsaturated fatty acids into the picture and then the safer hormone, like the protective hormones like pregnenolone, progesterone, thyroid hormone. If I hadn't developed that base level of understanding, I think that like I'd be on a completely different path and I don't think it'd be on the right path because I truly do think that what he pioneered and what he presented and even the guys that were joining the actual forum, it's not just like absolutely hats off to Ray Pete for sharing so much. But it was also the discussion amongst other members in the group that I think really helped to just paint a picture around different areas of health. So like when it comes to like understanding cortisol, understanding thyroid hormones, like these are pinnacle hormones. And We learn about them in naturopathy, not to the same level though, not to the same degree that he describes and not in the same light. And yeah, after uncovering a little bit about like serotonin, dopamine, thyroid, TSH, all that sort of stuff, I quickly began to realize there's something worthwhile experimenting here. And that was the first thing that I tried. Well... After the raw carrot salad, which is, I guess, like one of the most well-known Yeah, <laughs> that was my breakfast, And learning about, and then obviously experiencing the benefits of that and being like, wow, this stuff's actually great for gut health. It normalizes your stools and like doing all these amazing things, improving mental clarity and all sorts of stuff. After, that's when I, I came across Georgie Dinkov's, I do it's thread on, it was like a ciproheptadine, a wonder drug. And it was a fantastic thread looking at all the different benefits of ciproheptadine. And I remember at the time I was working in my dad's pharmacy so I knew I could get access to it within 2 seconds if I tried and it if it wasn't for this particular member on the forum who his username is hedgehog I think it is I can't remember the username he's actually kept he's, he's kept his, himself like undercover and stealth this entire time but we have spoken we have exchanged like thousands and thousands of messages just on the forum alone. And if it wasn't for that guy telling me to try ciproheptadine, I don't think I would have ever uncovered a window and felt normal again. If it wasn't for him telling me about his experience, that he used to feel great, he then took ashwagandha, it destroyed him like sexually and mentally and all sorts of negative effects. And then he's like, he sends me a message saying... Hey man, you should really try ciproheptidine. Take four milligrams for four days in a row. You're going to feel like absolute shit for the, for those four days. You're going to feel like a zombie. It's going to be challenging. You're going to be hungry, tired. You're going to feel like a robot. And I was like, Oh, really? Do I have to go through this? It's going to be, it's going to be night, a nightmare. But then he's like one week later, all of his symptoms reverted. Like he had a complete restoration of his old self. A cl- complete restoration of the ability to experience pleasure. He said his sex drive and orgasm intensity and stuff came back fully online, and I was like, maybe it's worthwhile trialing that. It was getting to the point now where I was like, nothing is really having an impact. And then when I tried ciproheptadine, I was—I think I started with one milligram or two milligrams—and having his experience in the background gave me so much. It's like, I knew what to expect. I knew if I take this tablet, I'm going to sleep extremely well. I'm going to be super drowsy. I'm going to be hungry. I knew the sequence of events that were about to unfold. And then just like clockwork on day four, something happened. I was like, it just felt like there was a particular part of my brain that the wires then just reconnected. And I was like, this entire sensory experience of the world is now back. And I was like, I remember sending him a message saying, dude, like you have like you've recovered a significant portion of my life that was robbed. And till this day, ciproheptanine still remains a tool in my toolkit that can revert and restore feelings and sensations and reduce the anhedonia. But, unfortunately it's never longer than 2 weeks so what will happen is i'll get into a window like i'll be able to feel i'll be able to feel like fully recovered and then for some reason and i'm still trying to figure this out there's either something i'm eating some sort of herb or spice that i keep, that i consume or something or some something else in my environment that will just quote unquote, just wreck me, like just mm. destroy me, And then back to that numbness. And then I'm like, oh, and then I have to wait. And it's so uh, do I have to use in again, just to feel good again? That's the story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And dude, that's the thing for me. It's like the windows give me hope because it's okay, cool. Like I know that it's able to revert back to this feeling that I used to have. And for me, I've noticed an improvement, a continuous improvement One of the things that really helped me was lion's mane surprisingly which some people have troubles with but with that it's like there are those things that cause crashes right and it's almost like now people that have had this anhedonia contributor are super sensitive to certain things like ginseng ginger like berberine which i know you're a fan of so many of these other things like even potato starch and it's so weird now the interesting thing that I see with ciproheptadine is the reason that the repeat form loves it so much is because it's anti-serotonergic, right? It's completely like inhibiting all the serotonin in your gut, which in my opinion, I think is great across the board. But it seems that the benefit comes from the serotonin rebound, if I'm correct. Have you dug into that and tried to understand more of the mechanism and what's causing that resensitization?
2: Yeah, this is like this. Truly, is the million dollar question. If we can, because ciproheptanine right now is the ultimate probe. It's like the golds right now. It's like the we've got this. We've got a tool. We know what it does, but we don't know why. Why is it eliciting a recovery state four days later? I've written down. I've actually got an Excel sheet. I don't know. I, I don't know if I've shared it with you, Noah. And I'm happy to share it with you after this. It goes through theories as to what might be contributing to that rebound state and i've written it down there's six or seven different theories there's the because i'm trying to correlate like what are the other symptoms that i experience when i'm in a window all of a sudden now food starting tasting has got the taste sensation fully back and maybe my blood pressure goes up a little bit but anyway here are some theories first of all you're correct in saying that the ciproheptadine is a serotonin lower serotonin it's a serotonin antagonist at various receptors the 5 HC 2 a receptor 5-HD1A receptor. It blocks a lot of other serotonin receptors. I think it's 2C as well and and probably some other ones as well. And it's also a D3 antagonist. So dopamine D3 antagonist. It's also a dopamine D2 antagonist. It's also a histamine antagonist. So it's blocking histamine. It's also lowering cortisol. So it's reducing ACTH. It's also lowering prolactin. It's also... What are some of the other pathways? Oh, it's also adrenolytic. So lowering adrenaline. It's also like serotonin, dopamine. Oh, it's also anticholinergic as well. So it's also lowering acetylcholine. And so like therefore, it's a dirty drug. Like it's not one selective pathway. It's like targeting so many different areas. But if this entire issue started from ashwagandha, and if we know that ashwagandha interacts with that serotonin 1A receptor or the sero- and also the serotonin 2A receptor, which we understand that ashwagandha can desensitize that 5-HT1A receptor. And so then if we look into the literature, what that could present as, there's a range of bodily functions that serotonin 1A receptor appears to modulate or modify. And one of those is oxytocin. So without binding of that of serotonin to that serotonin 1a receptor we're not going to be getting any of the better endorphin release and the oxytocin release so then i'm like thinking okay is this an oxytocin issue is there an oxytocin oxytocin deficit makes sense oxytocin it theoretically makes sense like oxytocin is highly associated with that like pleasure, bonding, feeling connected with other people, maybe that beautiful feeling of jumping into a a spa, that feeling that we're both describing before, could that be an oxytocin surge? maybe so as you can see like as far as superheptadine goes and its mechanism of action uh, and the other question is like why is it four days later what in my case at least and it's like literally like clockwork and i'm just like trying to i've met a number of other guys who also get it as well takes three four days Mm -hmm. The, the time in which it takes to recover is all dependent upon the rate at which that person metabolizes the drug so i think Maybe some people can get back into a window on day two, and that's just because they can, they metabolize it, they've got low beta glucuronidase or something, and they're able to excrete and metabolize it. Whereas I'm a very slow metabolizer. If there's a way to, look, if there's a way to take superheptadine, quickly metabolize it, and then the next day I feel like I'm in a window, man, I'll be over the moon because that means I don't have to suffer for those four days because it, it is a bit of a suffering, like it's not a pleasant, I wouldn't say it's a suffering. It just, it removes a part of my existence that I don't really like. But having said that, if I take ciproheptidine, usually the next day, like I am an absolute like beast when it comes to work, because I'm so not interested in engaging in a lot of like super fun activities or just hedonic activities that mm-hmm. like my work output and my focus is Unbeatable. No, it's just unreal.
1: Really? When I take it, I just, I become a sloth. Like I just eat all day. I feel like a hibernating bear. That's the same thing for me. If we can find a way to increase that metabolization and just have it be immediate, that'd be incredible. Now the oxytocin theory is one that I'm thinking of as well because a big aspect of this whole desensitization is like the inability to feel that connection with others. And we know that's really deep rooted in oxytocin now I haven't done a lot of digging on the forum, but we know that intranasal oxytocin has proven to be beneficial for certain symptoms, like particularly when treating like autism spectrum disorder. Have you done any experimentation with exogenous oxytocin?
2: That's like the I know it sounds like really obvious, and I'm just even today, I'm just like, how have I been so busy that I haven't had a chance to order myself oxytocin and trial out? I could easily acquire it. I just haven't I, after this call i'm probably going to order some and just try like i ne- i need to try it i am a little bit hesitant i'm a little bit nervous because i've had i've experimented with some hormones in the past i've experimented with pregnenolone for me mm-hmm. unfortunately pregnenolone induced like that i was really sensitive i couldn't believe how sensitive i was to pregnenolone um to the point where that just it, it really did cause depersonalization for me unfortunately and that probably could have been because I was mixing it with some other NMD ag- agonists and things It could have just been, it was probably a silly scenario. This was a long time ago. So I was, a, after that experiment, I was like really cautious and scared of touching any hormone, but- oxytocin what damage could it do i can't see it being like doing a once-off experiment i can't really see it being like a like all of a sudden oh you should not have taken oxytocin because like a year later you're experiencing side effects like doubt it i doubt it i'd love to try it though
1: yeah the risk profile seems low from what i've seen and a lot of people report pretty incredible feelings when they take pregnenolone i've experimented with it once again i didn't notice much like i just noticed maybe a little bit more androgenic effects, got some acne. And granted, I also wasn't very, I wasn't attuning myself to it, which I think is super important. And also the dosages at which they sell pregnenolone, they're doing like 10 gra- like what is it like 10 grams? No, not 10 grams, oh. 10 milligrams, like pretty yeah. high dosages. So like cutting that down also is interesting. There's so many theories behind this anhedonia. A lot of it comes down to a desensitization of specific serotonin receptors 5HT2A, 5, 5 5HT1C, is that correct?
2: 1A, 1A, 2A. There's theories. It's like the 1A autoreceptor, 2A receptor that might. The thing is, they're so heavily linked in and intertwined, and they can. You, you agonize one, it can affect the other one. Like the two, you know, it's like there's heterodimers. Like it's pretty. It's If someone could map this out in detail, like if I don't know who listens to your podcast, but if there's any
1: like fellow geeks like us, please chime in. There's definitely a few. I've seen them in the telegram group. I'm like, wow, you are way smarter than I am. Can you please keep commenting? But that's interesting. And then in that you have all the downstream dopamine potential inhibition, disinhibition. So it's a lot of nuance there, but I was talking to one of my good friends. His name's Bro. Very knowledgeable when it comes to this stuff. Also has had some of these anhedonia effects. And he thinks there's also, like, an androgen, like, HPG access dysregulation component to it as well. And to me, that's one, like, part of me is concerned and heartened because I'm like, now there's a whole other added layer of complexity. But also another part of me is at least that is, that to me sounds simpler to address and focus on than just the serotonin, particularly, like, the serotonin autoreceptor theory. Have you conceptualized the connection to that, the correlation to that? Do you think there is a HPG access (laughs) correlation here? This is a great question. I'm so glad you brought it up because only
2: a few days ago, I'm not sure if you know the other YouTuber, Ryan Russo. Have you seen his content at all? I don't think so. He posts heavily about like Psalms and steroids and steroids and testosterone replacement therapy. And yeah, Ryan and I, we're like, we chat all the time. And the I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up this story because it gives context to what you're mentioning about the HPG theory whether or not that actually plays a role now like the whole androgen theory is there enough androgen signaling going on or is there some sort of androgen silencing or is estrogen playing a role here which yes absolutely it is but all right so to give some context Ryan Russo unfortunately used a drug called tesofensine which is a super long acting the dopamine serotonin reuptake inhibitor it's got a half life of 8 days or something like that and unfortunately even before he used that medication he never suffered from any sexual side effects from anything ever now all of a sudden it's been over a week since he stopped that particular since he stopped that medication it was he only took one dose and now all of a sudden He's complaining about all the symptoms that all the guys on the PSD forum are complaining about. The blunted, there's no pleasure, there's zero orgasm, no excitement, erection quality is not as good. And just in general, he's feeling really flat lined, like what we describe with ashwagandha. And the reason I bring this up is because he thought, oh, maybe I just need to boost my testosterone levels and boost the androgen signaling up. So he injected... I think he said he did one gram of testosterone over a course of a week, which is uh, it was insane, very high, and so his his testosterone would have shot up, DHT would have gone up, estrogen probably would have went up, but no resolution in symptoms, no effect in symptoms, symptomology like he's still getting, it's a blunted, it's a blunting effect upstream. I think it's like. The brain, some for some reason it's like a particular pathway that's been it's almost like you got a rubber and you've just erased a certain part of the brain that's you've just wiped it out. So the way I look at it as as well, Noah, is like when I was trying to uncover like what was going on with myself, my testosterone, by the way, was 988 nanograms per deciliter total testosterone. So my total testosterone as a full natty was super high. So you'd think that on paper, wow, this guy's gonna feel freaking amazing. And what I think is really important to note is that I did feel really good in so many other areas of my life. I was so disciplined. I could train really hard. My recovery was amazing. Like I felt very work-oriented, extremely disciplined, very focused, motivated. Like all those things were fine. And I think that's because like the baseline testosterone is like in the background doing its job. Like Lucas has got his hormones dialed in like he's feeling good, but he's not reaping the benefits of the hormones. He's not reaping the benefits of the high testosterone because his neurotransmitter profile is just off. That's how I look at it.
1: That's an interesting way to look at it. I think it be the same. So when I was doing like an androgen sensitivity protocol, more or less high dose L-carnitine, both types, L-car, L-tartrate, some more natural stuff, shilajit, obviously, and just living like a lifestyle that was more attuned to having, say, androgen, sensit- androgen sensitivity, receptor sensitivity. I felt that as well. I noticed certain things come back in terms of like gym performance in particular, more assertion and more aggression and more desire to drive. But you're, I didn't think about that. You're right. The response, the reward that you usually get from those actions was not there going super hard at business hitting these goals and not getting that response like hitting these metrics with followers engagement all these things that normally i'd be giddy and peeing my pants over just nothing and it, it was crazy so that's interesting i know another way that you conceptualized it was those serotonin receptors are a button right on a tv remote it's almost like those buttons are getting worn out so now you need a stronger and stronger push more and more serotonin to reactivate those has that changed now to you thinking that button was actually just taken out?
2: I still think there's that possibility, but <clears throat> the fact that I'm still able to experience windows and still able to like like revert symptoms and be able to experience like a full restoration and recovery makes me think that there's just something that constantly is like undoing the, ben- undoing the benefits. You, I end up in a window, then all of a sudden... Something's triggered it to now, and now you're numb. And then all of a sudden, like the, the weird part about it is that the guy that first introduced me to ciproheptidine, so this is what's really critical. Everyone's probably wondering, Lucas, have you tried this? So when he told me about ciproheptidine and he did that experiment, he said to me that all of a sudden now he has to be really careful with certain foods that he eats and certain spices. So now, all of a sudden, he's saying that if he has a big amount of salary, he even mentioned salary, by the way, like a salary as like a rich in apigenin and lots of flavonoids and lots of GABAergic compounds. He mentioned that salary can crash him for up to a week and a half or so, but then eventually he will come back online naturally. Like he'll be able to get back into a window, feel good again naturally. Now, the thing about me is that if I have something that will crash me, which I have recently, by the way, like it was only four or five days ago and I'm like, oh, gosh, do I have to use Cipro? I know. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, man. And I also had a second date that night as well. I'm like, oh. It's just, <laughs> thankfully, and she, she'll never, I don't know if she'll be listening to this, but anyway, but thankfully, I still was able to like perform and still, have, still able to have fun but it was just like nowhere near as good as if I was in a window, like it'd be a very different ball game, but yeah, no pun intended, different ball game. <laughs> yeah. But in saying that, yeah, the theory of a worn out button on a remote, that's like a, that's an interesting theory, but man, like, again, like I haven't even, I've, it got to a point like two months ago where I was like, would it be worthwhile trialing like psilocybin? Am I? Cause I've never tried any psychedelics. Purely the biggest fear in not wanting to touch them yet, I, w- I know I eventually will, but it's do not change the path that you're on right now because you are cr- subjective. I look at it from the outside, and like, dude, you're building a company, you- you're doing really well, you're creating tons of content, like you're hiring staff, like you've got your brother on board now, like you're building an empire. So don't risk anything that might, <clears throat> like, I don't know, throw you off that path or it's probably a false limiting belief that I have that if I take like a psychedelic, it's just going to throw me off the path, but it could actually enhance me. I think here's a quick little message to all men listening into today's show. Do you want to double your energy levels, boost motivation and increase your focus? If so, you may be interested in my epic men's energy program. I've recently launched called limitless. Now, Limitless is an exclusive 12-week program for men who want to go from feeling tired, unmotivated, or burnt out to highly energetic, driven, and focused. Within the program, I will analyze your own unique biology and lay out a fully personalized health protocol so that you can finally unlock peak physical and cognitive performance. Over the 12 weeks, you will have direct access to me to ensure your results, as well as the chance to join me live twice a week to ask me anything relating to health protocols and discover cutting-edge men's health info to keep you at the top of your game. Now, spots in this program are extremely limited. So if you're interested in finding out more, make sure you go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T, dot L-Y forward slash limitless program to reserve the next available call to see if you're a good fit. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash limitless program. You'll also find this link in my bio on my Instagram profile and also my YouTube channel.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> funny you bring that up because I've done the whole ayahuasca thing, right? Two weeks in Peru and the Amazon and I've done that. And then recently I did that. And then about a year and a half later, I did <clears throat> psilocybin in, in a cacao ceremony environment. And I think they were beneficial, but keep in mind, like you have merit there because it's very likely that you have a very distinct outlook, like your like the trait of openness, right? Like, You're at a point on that like openness scale where it's perfect. And I think, yeah, from the outside looking in, you have a lot of balls that you're juggling right now, a lot of intricacies. Every time that I did it, I was ready to start from scratch, right? And that's just like me, who I am. I'm always ready to start from scratch. So like I subsequently did end up starting from scratch and like completely realigning. So it was necessary for me then just for like context of how I looked at it. It did help me beneficially like A hundred percent. But like I did, like the second I got out of that psilocybin, that last psilocybin and cacao ceremony, like I I shut down the agency that I was running currently. I completely pivoted. I doubled down on this health content. So was it beneficial? Yeah. Did it make me do a very abrupt decision that looking back on it, I could have been way more strategic with a hundred percent. Right. But in terms of like how it made me feel in terms of regenerating my brain. With ayahuasca in particular, it did feel like those neurons were signaling. That rewiring was happening. And the only thing I wish is that it really depends on what intention you go in with. I did not go in with the intention of can I reintroduce my ability to feel pleasure and enjoyment with the life around me and improve my connections. I was going more, it's like, can I teach myself how to be present? And I did, but I didn't focus on those. The psilocybin one in particular, it didn't heal me. But it did point that I believe my that blocking that emotional blocking felt like it was stemming from the gut. And that happened both times. And that's there's no scientific, like literacy behind it. But one thing to note is that these drugs were commonly drugs, substances, herbal medicine were commonly used as purging agents, right? Antiparasitics mm-hmm. to kill and to purge <clears throat> things the foreign bodies in your system. So that brought me on to the gut theory that a lot of people are talking about on these forums as well. And that's what got me digging deeper into parasites, into heavy metals. And I can say that I have seen remarkable improvements in my overall ability to feel sensations and pleasures and enjoyment since I've been going down that path more. And I believe you also mentioned something in our emails about sulfur being a very important compound keep in mind, sulfur is a very a commonly used anti-parasitic. It was one of the original pesticides used in ancient civilizations. So it does have micro, microbial properties as well, which is interesting.
2: Yeah. The, the gut theory makes sense to me as well. There must be some sort of interplay there. Like how on earth can, like, I'm also that guy that gets severely affected by like potato starch. There's a few jokes around the on my YouTube channel, like there's actually a guy that's set up his username as Potato Starch Extract. (laughs) And he keeps commenting on my YouTube channel. I'm just like, dude, every time I see a comment, you make me laugh (laughs) because... But the way I look at it is, okay, how the heck can Potato Starch like elicit this, like this crash, like an even tapioca starch? And only recently I heard Georgie Dinkov's podcast with Paul Saladino where Paul Saladino is asking a little bit about starch and stuff. And then I heard Georgie mention that, yes, the starch molecules are small enough to if you have leaky gut or intestinal hyperpermeability, they can leach through the gut and enter, enter into the bloodstream and elicit like autoimmune issues and autoimmune disorders. And I'm like, that's that completely makes sense. Like I just from a logic perspective, that that theory makes sense. Now, there's also interesting reports on the PSD forum around people that have recovered or elicited a window from antibiotics. Have you seen like some rifaximin, like just some antibiotics as well?
1: I've seen that. From the ones I read, it it didn't seem to be permanent.
2: No. More of a window? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And that's the other thing. Like, yeah, the permanency, like the ability for it to just restore it permanently, I think we're... Oh, I'm chatting with the lead product formulator at Nootropics Depot. I've had him on my podcast, and I've actually said to him, "Like, here's the Excel sheet. Here's everything I've written down about what's going on. Go and un- go and uncover this. Go and figure this out, please. I feel like we need artificial intelligence. To we need AI. We could probably get a Chat GPT to figure this out."
1: Dude, I've been, u- I've been using it a lot. Super effective. AI and then, or ChatGPT and then OA.mg, the academic research engine. I've been digging into nice. that a little bit. Not for this in mm. particular, but I was thinking about that when you're talking. Have you asked ChatGPT yet?
2: The thing is we could ask it. It's probably going to give us like a bit of a generic. I've tried asking it like, what is the etiology of PSSD? What are the causes of P, like PSSD? I've asked it like general questions. I guess the it's... Like, it matters about, like, the intelligence of the way that you structure the question. And it's a skill to be able to know how to use those, like, the you have to be smart as well to know how to, like, throw at the question you'll, and then get the right answer as well in response. That's to what that. I've been realizing.
1: Yeah, that's everything. <laughs> but re, first of all, rest in peace to Leo from Leo and Longevity. Really sad to see that. He's been a big, just incredible educator, especially when it comes to systems like the serotonergic system, the cholinergic system. He was always the one, because he would always say if something was caused by a pharmacological intervention, like the, the solution, it can likely be reversed as well. Because he was referencing that in regards to post syndrome, which has many similar effects. Were you ever able to find any information or resources that he put out around that, or have a discussion with him around that, around PSSD and anhedonia? The anhedonia
2: side of things, where he's mentioned microdosing antipsychotics to upregulate the dopamine receptors, I thought that could have been an interesting pathway. I never ever trialed it. I never experimented with it because I'm, I've used a natural antipsychotic before. I used is that um, lithium? Which one? Lithium. I used LTHP, L tetrahydropalmitate, which is found from LTHPs from. Oh my god, now I've gone blank. But it's from, it's on lift mode. But yeah, LTHP. Oh from, yeah, it's, it is a natural antipsychotic. Corydal Corydalis extract, which is a the herbal medicine that's used to stop cocaine cravings. That's literally what they. There's some proper research on it to block cocaine addiction. but And that's the other thing as well. Like the compounds that block addictive tendencies. What's the other one? NAC. N-acetyl system. Oh,
1: yeah, n as well. Yeah,
2: and naltrexone as well, which by the way, I also tried naltrexone a y- years ago as well. What was um, naltrexone? Yeah, no. LDN. Nothing? Uh, for me, so I, remember, I actually remember taking LDN before doing a sprinting session, like doing a really intense workout. It's usually after a workout, if I'm feeling okay, like I'll get a bit of a, like a runner's high effect, and I feel pretty amazing. But when I took LDN, I had nothing. I had I just felt no. I felt no different to how I felt before I started sprinting. Which I'm like, oh geez, I put in all that effort for no return. Like <laughs> it's like man. I I pushed myself that bloody hard for what? That was a waste of time.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. It, so there's some guy on Twitter reached out to me he got anhedonia from Lyme disease and he introduced me to this group that they had this big protocol. And that's something that I've been interested as well Is like, maybe there's something to do with mast cell activation as well. And like, we know that (coughs) antimicrobials work, right. And antibiotics work. One thing that's used a lot in treating limes and mold in particular are the antimicrobial peptides like thymus alpha and LL 37. Now we know there's other peptides as well that have been at the very least help with neurogenesis and reversing brain damage, which some people hypothesize this is a form of damage to the brain. The big one being cerebrolysin. Have you looked into peptide based treatments? And I know that is such a broad, like a broad approach, but like even things like melanotan or PT141 as a more like short-term acute window creator or cerebrolysin for the brain damage hypothesis. And then obviously thymus and alpha and L37 for the antimicrobial hypothesis.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the cerebrolysin is one that I've actually, I actually recommended it to a guy that had da- damage or anhedonia induced by cannabis and from chronic weed exposure. And he was a guy that joined my like group coaching limitless program. And uh, he... Used Cerebrolysin for two weeks, and he tried a lot of other things in the past, like he tried a lot of other natural dopamine upregulators, and uridine, and forskolin, and phenylalanine, and things like that. But Cerebrolysin was the one thing that actually recovered his ability to experience pleasure and proper like restoration of or mitigation of anhedonia. Which I was like, it didn't really surprise me, given that his symptoms were induced by cannabis and potentially there might have been some neurotoxicity associated with smoking cannabis which yeah it makes sense but some of the other ones that you mentioned like the antimicrobial pathway peptides and things like that BPC was BPC157 was another compound that was able to get me into a window as well really oral
1: nasal it was
2: orally. It was definitely not the next day and it definitely wasn't the day after. It, again it took it had a delayed effect. In fact, I remember taking BPC and the next day feeling worse. Tons. Yeah, have you seen all the threads online about BPC one five seven Anhedonia as well? Yeah, I've
1: heard that as like a primary cause of Anhedonia.
2: <laughs> yeah. So maybe there's something linked there, but look, to be honest, man, like I am open minded to all sorts of modalities and treatments as long as it's like as as long as we can all agree that if let's say jack some random guy jack takes ashwagandha he he felt great before taking ashwagandha then he took ashwagandha for a week felt shit and had all the symptoms we're talking about then he tried this that reversed the symptoms and now he's fine i'd be blown away if we can find that intervention, could be phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it really would be. And like, I just, you know, it's part of me is I like that it's getting more attention because it seems to be, it's a disorder, not a syndrome. So it's a bundle of symptoms with no known root cause. It's being caused by things like mold. It's being caused by things like Lyme disease, which is like a rampant autoimmune mayhem. It's being caused by things like ashwagandha and now even things like NAC. And NAC is an interesting one because you were mentioning how things that help with addiction oh, yeah. and that dopamine signaling that reward signaling seems <laughs> to help sometimes but NAC and I think you mentioned it like that's a great tool to use to reset that reward signaling and help you wean off of certain addictions yet it's causing this anhedonia so yeah. it seems to be a recurring theme right like the things that are causing anhedonia in some are improving it in others it's like it's having an effect on that pathway one way or another I keep coming back to lion's mane, right? Because lion's mane, a lot of people are like, ah, like this makes me feel anhedonia, low libido, low, like low drive. And maybe that's because of the anti-androgenic effects, but that has been one of the most beneficial compounds for me for improving just full baseline. And one of those things is like the spaciness that seems to accompany anhedonia, where you're just like not really there, you're not really present and that lion's mane like a month and a half of one gram seemed to do leaps and bounds in terms of improving that functionality. And uh, I think maybe that comes down to the brain-deriving glial-derived nootrophic factor. Or nootrophic factor. But uh, that's why like, I think I was mentioning in the email, the, the Nepazil seems like a potential, right? If the brain damage, brain desensitization theory is correct.
2: I'm blown away by the lion's main experiment uh- The thing is, I'm aware that, yeah, obviously, everyone's talking about Lion's Man as a DHT blocker and it's going to make the symptoms worse and things like that. But I'm still, like, I don't think that the... How do I put it? That's a different side of the story. I don't think it's the DHT that would hurt me if I lowered the DHT. I think it's truly... It's the serotonin stuff that I think is playing a role or potential, like, the neurogenesis that you talk about. I wouldn't be closed off to trialing Lion's Mane? Because I know I'll be able to recover eventually. If I, if it does make me a little bit worse, I'm like, oh, I'll just have to wait like a month to recover. But bring some um, more black
1: coffee. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Which Lion's Mane are you using and what dose?
1: Mm, standardized extract, <clears throat> one gram. It's, I'm in Mexico, so it's like, it's a Mexican brand. Do I trust it the most? No. Do I trust it enough to take it? Yeah. So I will likely go back and use fresh caps. I'm trying to get fruity, yeah. fruiting body extract. Because the like, I do think there's benefits to mycelial body mass, but the compounds that I'm looking for, they're going to be more in the fruiting body. And then I'm just making sure to ensure that my androgens are optimized at that same time. I'm not taking any other 5-alpha reductase inhibitors. I'm taking all like, pro stuff I'm living a very pro-androgenic lifestyle to try to balance that out. And I personally have not had any issues with that. And the cognitive effects are so profound because... My background, part of the reason that I got into all this was because of concussions and, like, this culmination of symptoms of anhedonia and brain and, and cloudiness, which is also correlated with this desensitization. I found it to be beneficial. The And I also respond really well to cholinergics, so acetylcholine, or excuse me, ginkgo biloba, CDP choline... <laughs> alpha GPC in particular. And Dinepazil just seems like the next logical step as a potent acetylcholine asterase inhibitor.
2: Interesting. Yeah. And the cholinergic pathway, that's also a potential pathway to explore. So if you... So it's so funny how you said before, I'm living a pro-androgenic lifestyle. Just if somebody... Like only you and I and those that join the rape Forum can understand yeah. that language. It's so cool. Yeah. If you walked around the street of Melbourne... <clears throat> or like just anywhere here, just be like, yeah, man, I've been, I'm, like, I've been living a very pro-androgenic lifestyle. People be like, what the hell is, the hell is with this guy?
1: Uh, we need to make that into a t-shirt, dude. But yeah, if, if I were to go into what that entails, that means I was on a call this morning, I was sunning a ball to the sauna yesterday. So
2: all pro <laughs> So funny. Oh, you could actually create a t-shirt that says I'm pro-androgen.
1: Yeah, I pro- think it's like a social movement. They're definitely going to think it's like some like, Community, that's being oppressed and just being pro.
2: Or a new gen. It's yeah, like
1: exactly.
2: Wow, that's funny. Pronouns,
1: <laughs> and yeah, we good merge, honestly.
2: Yeah. So I think like where it's still early days, like I'm always scouring the PSSD forum, like hunting for new treatments, experiments, protocols, people are trialing different things. People are saying like estrogen helps their symptoms. Like when we know estrogen is correlated with the serotonin system and... The cortisol pathway, licorice as well, which is another one that's confusing as, confusing as, but that was another one that also seemed to induce a window for me, like taking licorice tea.
1: That's so weird <coughs> because it's so anti, like highly phytoestrogen, not in a good way from what I've read.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, I've looked into the potential theories, but it's all about the glucocorticoid. That's the glucocorticoid theory because there's a bunch of guys that have also been cured from hydrocortisone, which is a powerful glucocorticoid cortisol mimicking drug. And that cortisol picture has to be playing a role here as well because ashwagandha lowers cortisol significantly. And is the anhedonia just simply coming from a lack of cortisol? I've done a Dutch test by the way, and my metabolized cortisol is so low. It's not even on the chart. It is so crashed and so low. Is this simply just a cortisol deficiency?
1: That's interesting. The crazy thing is some people, like the only thing that gets me a window is amphetamines. So that's something that's super interesting to me as well, especially with it's like typically vasoconstrictive properties and like not contributing to that functioning. But that's super interesting. And once again, it's just so nuanced, right? Because if we're thinking it's like a testosterone thing, if it's a, a hormone, HPG thing, And then the one thing that would inhibit that would be cortisol. Normally, when you think of being high cortisol, you're in a sympathetic state. You're unable to have those parasympathetic feelings of connection and pleasure and enjoyment. But that's interesting. What is a way that you could test that of just like spiking your cortisol? Once again, the blunted response to things like caffeine and typical cortisol agonists, if you want to call them that, cortisol spikers. That's my head's just spinning because it's here's a good theory. here's like contradicting evidence that would make it not make sense, but somehow it still works. Yeah. I'd
2: say, I mean, the the cortisol theory, like I tried hydrocortisone. I remember taking it, it was second year university. And I was like, I wonder if this is going to help. I think I took it for two days in a row. And unfortunately I didn't really, I got a little bit more energy and spring in my step, but it just didn't tickle or activate that pathway that I'm trying to activate. Like it, it was working on a different helping other symptoms and stuff, but it wasn't activating that particular pathway that we're looking for. I want to go back to some of the other modalities though. So the phosphorus, which by the way, you th- it was the f- homeopathic phosphorus. Uh, yes. Sulfur. It's funny how you brought up sulfur because the second homeopath that I saw actually prescribed sulfur, but I think MSN? so. The f- know, as in homeopathic sulfur, it's different to actual sulfur, but the first doctor that prescribed a homeopathic phosphorus. And again, I'm probably going to get a ton of people. Hopefully you don't get millions of downloads with this podcast, by the way, because if I, I'm talking about homeopathics, homeopathics, and everyone's going to be like this homeopathy is, bull- is BS. Like it's, it's an alchemist. Yeah. But homeopathic phosphorus can also induce a window for me, but I, good luck trying to figure out how and why that happens. Cause like I've, if you go on YouTube, you can hear a particular, there's like a famous doctor, famous homeopathic doctor that talks about how phosphorus can improve the symptoms of like indifference and apathy to so app feeling apathetic indifference and also reduced joy for activities. When he's talking about that, he's talking about it as like a modality to assist with like depressive symptoms and Phosphorus is something that I'll still lean towards here and there. Like I'll use it maybe once every few months as like a if I've crashed myself, phosphorus can actually help to like bring me back on board and help with the headaches and stuff. But uh, so phosphorus. So we'll go through the list of potential things that have helped. So ciproheptadine is definitely number one. Number two would be Saint. oh man, this is going to be so confusing for the audience. Saint John's Wort. St. John's wort as a modality made no, it just didn't. I did not understand how that could help. And I was so nervous about trialing it, but it did help. I used a very low percentage hyperforin extract of St. John's wort, which the hyperforin is the constituent that's what makes St. John's wort dangerous. That's why no one should ever use St. John's wort with any. It's probably the most number one interacted herb with any drug. And so, like when I worked in my dad's pharmacy, he was like immediately never, ever recommend St. John's wort to anyone. I was just like, never recommend it because it's just too many interactions. But this particular extract is low in the hyperforin, which is the constituent found in St. John's wort that interacts with all the medications. So I thought oh, I might as well acquire that and try that. And that also brought back that gave me multiple windows and really helped with a ton of things. The best way that I can describe that was, I remember when I, it was like, I think it was week number two, which is when they considered the actual antidepressant effect kicks in, was that it induced many periods of deja vu moments. Like it's the craziest thing, but you have to have like extremely high level of self-awareness to even recognize a deja vu moment. But to be able to think, I don't usually get this many deja vu moments, but I'm getting a lot of them right now. What is going on here? There's something clearly at play. Like we don't even know what causes deja vu moments, but
1: yeah, that's <laughs> an weird. interesting one. The core. I, I don't know if you experienced this, but I had a really bad memory loss. Just not remembering things that happened in my past, and I chalk those up to the concussions but looking more into this whole amnesia space that seems to be a common issue with people and now you bring up the deja vu have you like experienced that looked into that the inability to like retain memories of experiences my thankfully like my
2: general memory has been unaffected by the whole situa- like unaffected by the whole situation unless i've taken a big dose of sipreheptadin the anticholinergic effects are kicking in and my my memories temporarily just i'm like temporarily alzheimer's patient and and i'm also (laughs) temporarily a diabetic a type 2 diabetic when i take it as well because i'm just like oh man nothing keeps me full i just want to eat the whole
1: pantry it's disgusting i'm just like and i can dude my like my digestion's so good when i'm on ciproheptadine i just like immediately digest everything
2: immediately immediately it's oh like you can just eat i'll just yeah like you just want to binge on anything you feel like you can you've got a gut of steel when, when I take it, I'm like, oh, I got to also take a shit ton of anti-diabetic agents. So I'm taking like heaps of taurine and heaps of Tudka and like metformin, I'll throw some metformin in or berberine and stuff like that. I'm just like, because I know I'm like temporarily so insulin resistant, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like in saying all that, I think the memory side of things, I've been pretty good, thankfully. Like I've generally speaking, had a I've got a pretty good memory for things. I've got a good ability to recall faces really well and names for people's faces. i like can pretty, I think I get that from my dad just genetically. Apparently he's like really good with putting faces to putting names to faces and things like that. Okay,
1: <clears throat> Interesting. Mm. What about lifestyle, like lifestyle changes for me? Like I'm definitely better when I'm living on the beach, the grounding, maybe reduce reduction of like systemic inflammation, the remineralization just from being around the ocean air. I don't know. Like, all of those things combined, combined with sun exposure. Have you noticed anything in terms of lifestyle interactions, lifestyle changes that have improved any symptomology? Yeah. By the way, this is a fake background that I've got here. I'm not actually in Yeah, New I was going to say anyway. that doesn't look like Melbourne. <laughs> yeah,
2: this, I'm actually, right now, if we flip the camera, I'm actually looking out to the ocean. So I'm like that close to the beach oh, you're Kidding. where I am. Yeah, I'm in a beautiful spot in Melbourne, right near the beach. So I'm like walking distance to the beach. Man, that sort of living, like, Being out in nature, grounding, sunlight, going in the water, like without a doubt, improves my quality of life significantly, like dramatically. And I was just thinking last night, I was just reflecting on the last few months, why my mental health has improved so much. And just in general, if I compare how I am now to a year ago, not that I was in a really bad situation a year ago, like I was still crushing it and still doing really well, but my general happiness levels and well-being right now is so high because my friendship circles have expanded like exponentially. I've just got so many different friends in so many different groups. I'm getting involved in different communities here. And like, I'm just like just saying yes to lots of new events and public speaking events and just general meetups. And I'm like running into people that I've seen before. And like all of a sudden now I actually know like more people outside of my just, small friendship group, like I've actually got a pretty big and diverse friendship group. And I'm like, is that why I'm feeling like I'm really connected with people now? Is that why I'm feeling like I'm like, I don't, is that why I need less sleep? Is it because my well-being is so much, is so much better? Like I'm, I'm getting by very easily on like just seven hours of sleep now. Like I'm just highly energetic and generally really optimistic about meeting people and interacting with people but yeah definitely lifestyle factors play a massive role quality of relationships equals quality of
1: life really i couldn't agree more and that's something i'm realizing because obviously i it very similar to you i like the bells and whistles like you and i are both like i just like obsess over things like taurine and like these random gabaergics amino acids but at the end of the day like the biggest needle movers are like how are my relationships like how fulfilling is my work even now like I I come from a marketing background and back then I could just work based off of like external goals. Like how big is this invoice, right? Like how fast am I like climbing the ranks? What results am I getting? But maybe partially because of this anhedonia, those external motivators don't work for me. It forced me to do more meaningful work. And it was almost like a blessing in disguise in that sense, because it gave me no other option, but to pursue those things that were truly meaningful to who I was. And all those superficial things just didn't have the same hit
2: yeah yeah Uh, 100 percent.
1: lucas man this was awesome this was a really good conversation i'm sure there's 30 other things we could have talked about that would have been way more tactical but uh, i think this is an important conversation to have i'm sure like we could have done a lot more and i'm sure that we'll have to have another conversation as these new methods these new hypotheses continue to develop
2: yeah hopefully next time we chat it would be an absolute miracle if we either one of us has discovered a treatment or protocol or something that really hits the spot for a number of men because like not only will we be solving like my degree of suffering but we'll be solving an issue that's like really prevalent and it's an epidemic and yeah if we can get to the bottom of it and assist those people because there's going to be there's going to be a brand new set of people that have, have never used ashwagandha and then i don't know maybe they just started taking it yesterday they haven't heard our podcast they haven't heard us talk about this then two weeks from yesterday they're suffering from symptoms and then all of a sudden their entire life is changed it's just very different and then hopefully they come across our content or something like that and yeah this is like in terms of impact and like legacy side of things like this is really honing in on that but yeah i appreciate the opportunity man thanks for having me on and we'll definitely be in touch like i'm really glad to connect
1: absolutely man yeah you i i saw your twitter you need to get back on the twitter sphere for sure your tweets were bangers. And if you want to talk about just like a community where people can have those discussions, that's the spot. So I highly recommend you get on there. There's a lot of people that already follow you that already know you that are in that realm. Hope to see you on there. And then yeah, I'm in the same boat. My goal is not to get people to take more supplements. My goal is to make people more speculative and inquisitive about the supplements that they're taking and just not be ignorant. So I think we're doing a good job at that. I know you're very vocal. Your most recent post was about like, maybe don't take these supplements. I saw it when I was DMing you. And then on top of that, also on my side, I think that's one of the things I've talked about the most. I stopped taking ashwagandha and the number of people I've gotten to stop taking that same with SSRIs. Like that's probably the most meaningful thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Nah, we're doing the world a good service. Let's keep it
1: up, man. Awesome, bro. <clears throat> See you, Luke. We'll talk to you soon, brother.
2: Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology.
0: This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?